Good morning, North Shore. How are you guys doing today? Good. My name is Mark Milbrecht. And this is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And of course, next week is Easter. And that's one of my favorite times of the year. Not for the eggs, of course, not for the bunnies, but because Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead. And each and every one of us have new life because of that. What I like to do, um, Pastor Scott just reminded me of the Nashville shooting that just happened um, in a Christian school. And I just thought I'd take a moment with you guys just to pray. Um, could any academy staff that might be here stand up if you're here? Okay. Yeah, it's a similar school to ours, so put, put that on your heart and, and pray for these people as well. Jesus, um, we don't know why. We don't know why these things continue to happen. Um, but God, we, we recognize that you are still God, that you are still in control, that you are um, the God of the universe. And with that, Lord Jesus, you have the power to bring comfort, to bring peace, to bring um, some level of closure and understanding to, to what happened in Nashville. And so I just pray you'd be with, with their survivors, with the parents, um, with the people that are related to those who have fallen. Be with them, watch over them, and help them deal with this um, recent tragedy. Bring your love and your grace and your kindness and your mercy to all of us. Protect all of us, Jesus. In your son's name. Amen. So you might be wondering, <clears throat> why the swords? If you remember the um, story of Jesus in the garden and Peter pulls out his sword and he lops off the ear of a guard because he's protecting Jesus, right? And so I'm going to play Peter today and I just need one volunteer. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> All right, I guess we'll go on with another story. Um, hmm. Oh yeah, we're in the life of David. As you know, the Life of David series. Last week, uh, Pastor Scott talked about 1 Samuel 24, chapter 24, how David had a plan and a choice to make, right, with Saul. And he chose wisely. Today, we'll look at chapter 25, where David is given another opportunity to choose. To choose between two paths, one that follows God's plan for him, and the other follows the potential consequences of his own plans. Will he choose the right plan? Ushers, you can come forward if you'd like to, and anyone that needs a Bible, just go ahead and hold out your hand, <clears throat> and they'll, they'll give you a Bible. You know, the, uh, Robert Frost, a uh, famous poet, he he wrote this in The Road Not Taken. It's, it's the, the final words that he shares. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. 
See, he had a choice too. Take the road that everyone else has taken or, or take the one that might be a little bit more difficult, less popular. And he did that and it made all the difference. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 reminds us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. Trusting in the Lord, acknowledging him. Leaning on his understanding, not our own. And he'll make our paths straight. That's a promise right from God's word. What's David going to do with that? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, to um, glean what you have there, the story about Nabal and Abigail and, and David, and how they interact. Jesus, could we learn from that story? Could we choose the better path, the path that is led by you and not by our own devices, by our own motives, by our own wishes, and yes, even by our own anger? Jesus, give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning what it is you want us to have and do and be. In your son's name, amen. So chapter 25 starts out <clears throat> with these profound words, three of them. Now Samuel died. All of Israel assembled. They mourned for the loss of their prophet, Samuel. And, G and David loses his friend, his mentor, his discipler his wise counsel, his pastor in the prophet Samuel. If you're taking notes, point number one is David asks for provisions and Nabal insults David. Just talking about the very beginning of this, after Samuel dies, David rises and goes into the wilderness and he brings 600 men with him and their families. And there's a man there who has a business, a very successful business in Carmel. He's very, very rich. He has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, but then again, who's counting, right? Be a great place for an insomnia clinic or something, but um, he's shearing his sheep in Carmel. This is a very special time of the year. It's a time of celebration. There's a feast, and David comes during this time. This man's name is Nabal, which means fool. His wife's name is Abigail. <clears throat> She's a, a much different woman, and it means joy of her father. She's the apple of her father's eye. Much different people, these two, and yet they're married. She's also discerning and beautiful, but he's harsh, it says, and badly behaved. Anyone? It doesn't relate to me at all. But David hears about this shearing that's happening. 
And he sends 10 men to go talk to Nabal. And this is what he says, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 5. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat and that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away, came back and told him all this. And David said to the men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at us, or railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both night and day. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one, or that one cannot speak to him. My friends, David is very upset here, would you say? (laughs) He's extremely indignant. You see, his men have provided protection for Nabal's men. They've taken care of them. They've watched their stuff. They've been with them night and day. They've kept his servants and his belongings safe in the wilderness. And yet this is... Nabal's reaction, who's David? Really? <laughs> really? That's what he says? No, some, some guy just, no, we're not going to give him anything, right? So David wants swift and significant retribution toward Nabal, who's this fool. My friend, he's, he's not only committed a crime against David, he's also committed a crime against his culture. This is a feast day. This is when you're more than generous with those people, especially if you're extremely wealthy, right? This is a time for him to bless David and his men for what they've done. He's indebted to him. This is a time to provide for someone who's provided protection and provision for you. And yet he chooses not to do that. Now, David is certainly justified, right, in being indignant we heard about a word, uh, nakam, that Pastor Scott shared last week. It's a desire for revenge, to punish. 
to judge or to be avenged. But this is not supported. And David's proposed actions are not, not supported by Scripture. Right? Remember the, the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 35. says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, um, Paul takes this. Same words in Romans 12, 17 through 19. He says, repay no evil, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if you remember last week, as Pastor Scott shared about the situation with Saul, right? He goes into a, a cave to relieve himself. David's hiding there. David could easily run him through with the sword and his misery and getting chased around and getting spears thrown at him, everything else, right? This guy's bent on killing him, and now he's been delivered into his hands. And even his own his own soldiers say, do it, right? Get it over with. Take care of this guy. But David just cuts off a corner of his robe. And even there, he feels remorse for what he's done, right? And he doesn't follow through that because he respects and he honors Saul for his position as king, although he hasn't left yet. And respects him as his father-in-law. He's not going to go through with that. He chooses, he chooses a better plan. And my friends, here we are just a chapter later. And David is freaking out. Right? He wants to take, take out this guy. This insolent person. This, this person that owes him something. He wants to kill him. He wants to destroy him and half his family, every male member of Nabal's family, who, by the way, didn't do anything. Right? They're just collateral damage. Interesting. How's this story going to end? <laughs> well, if you're, again, if you're taking notes, point number two, Abigail intervenes for David and for her family. Let's read together 1 Samuel 25. Verses 18 through 31. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five saves of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. Whew, that's a lot of food. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, and as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David, and more so if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face. 
and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak to your ears, in your ears, and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, to seek your life and the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. My friends, that's one of the most powerful speeches given by any woman in the scriptures. You see, God has given Abigail a clear vision of David's future. She challenges him to look at the big picture, right? Not just a small thing that's just happened to him, to pardon the insult, to recognize his need to fully embrace his anointing by listening to God and by not taking matters into his own hands, which was one of Saul's big problems, if you remember. Through Abigail, God saves David from the consequences of blood guilt from his overreaction to Nabal. So against the wishes of her harsh and badly behaved husband, right, she takes food. She goes out and she meets this enraged David who has the Lord's anointing and who's, like I said, his predecessor has been fired, but he hasn't left the office yet. And his army, and they're both, all of them, are bent on shredding her husband, Nabal, and half her family. Think about what extraordinary courage that would take. Through Abigail, God saves David from the consequences of blood guilt, which would not have been in God's will, and also saves innocent people in her family from retribution and death. Scriptures say she's a beautiful and wise woman speaking prophetic truth to try to temper the wrath of the king of Israel. She's also resourceful. She has the respect of her servants, if you remember. She acts with authority. She acts independently of her husband, at least in this, these matters. She's fair and she's trustworthy. But she also takes a great risk here, right? With a very angry king. However, her message is made palpable to David, right, in how she delivers it, because she immediately honors him when she sees him. On her face, she bows. She humbles herself. And she begs David to let her take the blame and the punishment for Nabal's transgression. 
And then she reminds David that he's the appointed one and reminds him of his story. And I love this. We'll read this again. 1 Samuel 25, 28 through 31. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. My friends, this is exactly the words that the prophet Nathan uses in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. We sung about that. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you shall live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, who did that? Saul. Who? Who? (laughs) You guys are awesome. Seek your life, right? The life of my Lord shall be bound, I love this, bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. God's going to take care of them. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as the hollow of a sling. Who are we talking about there? Goliath. Goliath, exactly. You guys are top of your class. She recognizes these things about him. She speaks prophetically into his life. She's done her study with David, right? And he's impressed. Point number three, David chooses a better path. Because this is his response. 32 through 35. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you, who have kept me from this day from blood guilt, from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly, by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go in peace to you. Sorry, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. So she leaves, and she goes up to her house, and she finds her husband, and he's having a huge feast. Remember the guy that wouldn't give David anything? He's having a huge feast, and he's hammered, and she realizes this is not the time to talk to my husband. So she doesn't, until the next morning it says the alcohol, the wine has left him, right? So now he's somewhat sober, maybe with a huge hangover. But this is when she decides she's going to tell him what she had just done. And so she tells him that story, and then his heart dies within him, and he becomes like a stone. He's basically paralyzed, right? And then it says, verse 39, and about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Huh. Okay. My friends, God saves Abigail at this point from her husband's wrath. You know, the word for husband in Hebrew is Baal, which also means master or owner. 
wife. The name uh, wife in Hebrew is Beulah. Hopefully none of you are named Beulah. Um, It means owned. You see, he could have done anything he wanted to do to his wife, and he was badly behaved and harsh, right? So she would have been in serious trouble after what she had done, right? That would have gone exactly opposite of his plans. And yet God protected her, and the ball was paralyzed, and then he died. But it was God's doing, not David's doing, and that makes all the difference in the world, my friends. So here's a question I have for you. What should our response be when we're offended? And we will be, right? It's inevitable. I want to tell you a story. I, um, I've shared this before. I was born with my feet turned inward quite a bit, and so I had to wear a bar the first couple years of my life, apparently, that held my feet apart. It's very painful. I had to wear these big straps and big orthopedic shoes when everyone else had Nikes, right, and Reeboks, and this big giant belt, you know, that this, these two straps fit into. I was like a puppet, maybe Forrest Gump, if you guys have seen that show, right? And so I was relentlessly teased, because that's what kids do right? When other kids are different. So I was teased and bullied from about kindergarten through seventh grade. And I remember, I must have been probably eight or nine, maybe 10. And I got off the bus and there was another kid that got off the bus at the same bus stop that I did. He didn't live near me, but we both got off the bus and went our separate ways. But every time, he would, he would bully me, he would push me, he would grab my backpack and throw it in the woods, whatever it was, right? Well, he did something very grievous that day as I was getting off the bus, and I just went into this fury, and I just grabbed him and I threw him in the ditch. He was much bigger than me, but somehow I think I just took him by surprise. Had him in the ditch. I was on his chest. He was on his back. I picked up a huge rock and I was about to literally crush his skull. And the bus driver saw all this and she was about to take off, but she, you know, ran down the stairs on the bus and she's like, Mark, drop the rock. And I just froze. I'm still holding the rock. I want to crush his head so bad. And then she yells it again. Mark, drop it. And I just threw it on the ground, and I got up, and I ran all the way home, crying. I was so upset that day. That bus driver probably saved me from tremendous consequences. I don't know if I would have killed the guy. I probably would have with a giant rock to his head, right? Certainly injured him grievously. Oh, and he deserved it. Oh, my gosh. But see, I probably was taking everyone else that had bullied me, and and he represented all of those people. And I had a chance to just wipe him off the face of the earth. But I didn't. And I'm so glad for that bus driver. Today, our society, my friends, this is not a surprise to any of us, but we're a powder keg of strong opinions, feelings, and convictions, right? We're so easily offended. 
particularly by the other side. Politics, race, gender issues, COVID, road rage. Does that bring anything up? <laughs> right? We have this mentality, ready, fire, aim. That doesn't work. It never ends well, right? My friends, how many of us have been angry more than once? Oh. <laughs> Come on. Come on, people. That's about half the hands. Well, maybe you could remember when you were angry that just that once. How was that manifested? What damage have we done to others as a result? I read this uh, the other day, and it was very convicting. If you're a parent, maybe you can relate. In 20 years, you won't remember that time your kids didn't finish their dinner or clean their room or left their clothes or their toys out or didn't do their chores. Or, But they will remember how you freaked out on them and you yelled at them about it. Oh, yeah. They'll remember that. See, the ax forgets, but the tree remembers. Got a few photos for you. This one here, <clears throat> Forged in the Fire. Has anyone seen that show? Any? A few? few of us, right? Okay. Basically, guys making really cool stuff. Swords, knives, etc. It's a contest, right? But one of the processes that they use there is the process of tempering. And this is a photo of tempering. Next. You see, you heat the blade up. Not, not to melting, which I think with steel is like 2,500 degrees, but you heat it up considerably, and then you cool it down with water or with air. And you heat it up, and you cool it down, and you heat it up, and you cool it down. And that's the process of tempering. And if you do that, it hardens the blade. It strengthens the blade so it can carry out its purpose what it was created to be. My friends, our anger, it must also go through that tempering process where it heats up, right? And then it cools down. And we get stronger in our resolve not to overreact or inflict irreparable damage like I could have done to that kid like David could have done in a boss family. And the examples go on and on. Our temper is tempered, and God can continue the work of forging us in the refiner's fire to be more like Jesus. Amen? One more photo. Another sword that many of us use The Bible is one of the most dangerous books. In fact, it is the most dangerous book ever written. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing else can do that. And my friends, during that time, the sword was the most powerful weapon in the universe. Kingdoms rose and fell on the sword. The Bible, sharper than any two-edged sword. My friends, the Bible has been used 
to save so many lives. The Bible has been used to encourage so many people. The Bible has been used in incredible ways, right? To heal, to bring wholeness, etc. But in the wrong hands or, or used incorrectly, it's also caused great damage. Not the Bible itself, but how we use it, how we've applied it. And I think that's the point we need to make today. What are you going to do with that? Use it wisely. Use it well. It's a gift. So again, I'll ask the question, what should our response be when we're offended? A couple ideas for you today. Stop. <laughs> That's what I needed to do right then and there when I was with a giant rock. Stop. And I didn't do this at the time, but we can do this. Stop and ask the Lord, what is going on inside of me right now? What's that all about? Just ponder that. What is going on inside of me right now? Why am I overreacting here? Secondly, seek wise counsel. That may be the Lord, it may be the Holy Spirit, it may be others who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It might be a trusted friend, a spouse, and even be open to an unlikely source like David was to Abigail. Listen, listen to that person. And then finally, ask yourself, how will my intended response affect my relationship with others? I wish that I asked that question more often, right? Stop, seek, and ask. My friends, that's all part of the tempering. That's all a part of the cooling process, right? It's us willing to say, okay, time out. I need to figure this out before I react or overreact in anger and people get hurt and collateral damage happens. Like David, we have the opportunity to choose to temper our temper, to have patience, to listen, and to be teachable so that we can choose a better path and leave our sword in its scabbard when that's necessary. Remember, the battle belongs to the Lord and he will avenge. So, what's your next step? Last week, Pastor Scott said, who has hurt you? It's a big question. Hopefully some of us had somebody in mind. Who has hurt you? This week, I want to follow that up with this. How have you, or will you, choose to respond? And maybe you've responded badly. And maybe you need to go back to that person and ask for their forgiveness and walk it out together. What path will you take? One leads to life, and the other one potentially leads to destruction. Next week, we're going to look at another anointed one, Jesus, who's also called the Son of David. He rejects the temptation to undermine human power structures, right? Like the Roman occupation. He also rejects the idea of being an earthly king or to even come down off the cross when they mock him. And they say, if you really are the son of God, save yourself. But instead, Jesus chooses the harder path 
but the better path. And he takes the road less traveled to follow the will of his Father and to die on the cross for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, this is a tough teaching. I know <clears throat> I've gone around and around with it and there's so much that comes against you and comes against me and us and that we just want to just want to destroy. We want to just take out. We want to we want to seek our revenge. We want we want people to pay. And it's justified and, and, and we can justify it in a million different ways. But God help us to stop as believers recognize that you've done so much and we need to continue to trust you with that work even if it takes longer than we than we think it should like with David waiting waiting and waiting for Saul he chose a better plan and a better path and we need to do the same give us the strength to do that in your son's name amen